and we are now ready to continue with the fundamental teachings given by Krishna to Arjuna in the fundamental text of Indian spirituality, the Bhagavad Gita. And this is a series of discourses explaining the yogic methods and the yogic techniques, the yogic truths, which are under the guise of these teachings. Krishna himself uses often the word yoga, is one of the most used words in this text. And we have seen that the teachings of Krishna belong to the Sanatana Dharma, they belong to the eternal spirituality of this world, and they can be understood technically from a yogic standpoint through the understanding of the chakras, levels of energy, resonance, and the other fundamental principles that here in Agama Yoga we study. We are somewhere in the middle of the chapter number six, which might be in this season the last chapter, which we comment from the Bhagavad Gita, because we have received requests for other commentaries to also bring a few other subjects in the satsangs. And by the way of it, there is still time for you to come up with your suggestions. And with those suggestions, either give them to the registration or to the voting box or directly to Chisem here in the side of the hall, in case you don't know her, who will collect those because soon some decision will be taken about the very next subject. So, as I said, we are in the middle, in the second half, actually, of the chapter number six from the Bhagavad Gita. Last time we did the strophe number 23, in which, after making a beautiful description and setting some very clear standards, which today in this new age confused level of spirituality becomes very, very important because in this new age subculture people try to redefine everything and they change the standards and there is a whole salad coming out of it. And after defining some very beautiful norms and levels of what is yoga, which are the effects, what is spirituality, what is the effect of a spiritual state of consciousness, Krishna was concluding by saying, let that, what he described before, be known by the name of yoga, the severance from the union with pain. Yoga means union, but it's union with something which is indescribable, undescribable, ineffable. And that's why we, even if you can't explain with what yoga unites you, then he describes yoga as severance from the union with pain. People's lives, as Buddha has noticed, life, the essence of life is suffering, which of course some people don't like to hear. And in the time, in this time of soothsaying and pampering our own egos, people would like more politically correct, mild, uh, other sorts of statements. But anyway, 
basically, again, Krishna says yoga, and he gives a definition, the name by the name of yoga, the severance from the union with pain. Life is union with pain, and you can cut that union with pain. Thus, of course, logically being united with bliss, with happiness, which he actually said. But he doesn't say that directly, he says it indirectly. And then he adds, this yoga should be practiced with determination and with an undesponding mind. I already commented that in the last satsang. And now we move to the shloka number 24, where Krishna keeps setting some beautiful standards and he is going into the direction of a splendid paragraph, one of, again, one of the most known and quoted paragraphs, not now in 24, a bit later he is preparing towards it, in which Krishna basically describes the spiritual evolution of the human being, the aspiration towards totality, the aspiration towards enlightenment of the most evolved of the human beings. In number 24 he says... Abandoning without reserve all the desires born of Sankalpa, which I will explain in case you don't remember this word already, and completely restraining the whole group of senses by the mind from all senses. And then he continues in number 25, it's again the, a double shloka here. So, abandoning without reserve the desires born of some kalpa and completely restraining the whole group of senses by the mind from all sides, little by little let him attain to quietude by the intellect held firmly, having made the mind established itself in the self, let him not think of anything. Now let's take it one by one. Let's turn back to number 24, which is the beginning for our commentary tonight. Abandoning without reserve all desires born of Sankalpa, which is from the incentive, which means from the incentive to action. Sankalpa is related with the samskaras, it is related with all the residual traces of the mind. It is related in a certain way with Rajas Guna. And the idea is that the mind always keeps some desires for its secret gratification. Even when you don't have desires from the senses, there are desires from within. Like you are staying in meditation for 20 minutes and you don't have any external desires, like you don't want to see anything, you don't want to taste anything, you don't want... Like the five senses are controlled... And yet the mind enjoys itself enormously into drifting, into daydreaming. And that's a desire. It's a secret desire of the mind. Everybody who tried to quiet their mind down for long periods of time knows that the mind has this perverse thing that it likes to think. When you would want it stable and quiet, silent, the mind loves to take a theme for thinking and it starts thinking and thinking and thinking about a project, a dream, an emotion, something there. And sometimes when you try to stop it, 
it's very unpleasant. The mind is like a wild animal that hates to be interrupted. It says, no, right now, because I was, you know, like, like the momentum came right now. We were sitting so quiet and the body was so relaxed. And finally you had some depth in your thinking and you are relaxed and now it's really the time to dream and rave and do this or this and that. Sometimes there are many people who experience this, that in meditation they say, oh, I would like my mind to shut up, and then somehow they give in. They simply say, okay, let's think a little bit about this, because indeed, I'm relaxed, I'm with my eyes closed, you can't see really from outside what I'm doing. Yeah, it's true, I'm not repeating the mantra, I'm not focusing on the prana, I'm not doing this or that, depending on what form of meditation one is practicing, but it seems like it's a very good time to think about this. But to think about this or that is not meditation, really. It's a surrogate, it's a replacement, and that's one of the secret pleasures of the mind. The mind still has, has desires born of sankalpa, born of this desire to act, desires born of rajas guna, like I want to think about something, I want to do this, I want to plan, I have desires, desires. And again, the list could continue. The fact is that Krishna here is, in, is going on a line of renunciation. This shloka and the next, as well as some of the things which says in the future shlokas, Krishna again is very wise. His teaching is so wise that it is ambivalent, really. It is so wise that it has a double entendre. Like, Krishna never tells to Arjuna, how do you abandon without reserve all desires born of Sankalpa? For example, there exists a tantric technique proceeding from Kashmiri Shaivism, which says, oh yeah, you have the desire to think, and the mind has some desire still left, but you can fulfill them in this way, and wherever you go, you will find the Shiva consciousness, which in the language of Kashmiri Shaivism means God, the divine consciousness. And therefore... That technique, which comes from a very proeminent meditation technique uh, text called the Vijnana Bhairava Tantra, such a technique of meditation, it doesn't say that you should suppress the desires born of Sankalpa and the activity of the mind which results from it. No. Actually, the Vijnana Bhairava says that you can let go, you can give in to those and use them in a special way, because it's a tantric approach. Exactly as the tantric sexuality says, you don't need to fight with your sexuality and try to be celibate, when you can give in to your sexuality, but in a special way, and then your sexuality will become a trump, a bonus, an asset, instead of becoming a source of degeneration and a source of spiritual fall. That's why Krishna says, abandoning without reserve all the desires born of Sankalpa. But which way? Krishna is standing at a level which is above the path. 
he did not choose the path. It's true that most of what he says here can be interpreted the dry way, the Vedantin way, the way the classical Buddhist, the Theravada Buddhist tradition, the old Buddhist tradition also goes, which is the practice of extreme asceticism. You have to push the asceticism, the asceticism, till the level where even the secret desires of the mind are withering away. They are being culled, they are being exterminated, they are being annihilated. And of course, that is a valid interpretation of this trophy, and many people did just that. They practiced the annihilating ways, but of course we know in the tantric tradition that there is always the other way. The hill can be climbed through the right-hand path and through the left-hand path, provided that the paths are tackled correctly, they will always yield results accordingly. So, abandoning without reserve all desires from which the incentive to action is born. So, all these samskaras, all these the samskaras, the sankalpas, as they are called here, the vasanas, they are generated, generating constantly new and new tendencies, exactly like the weeds in a garden. Every gardener knows that the weeds seem to be without end. You weed and weed and weed and weed, and sometimes the useful plants that you cultivate die and they don't make it, but the weeds always seem to have nine lives. Although you dig them out, and although you pluck them, and although you poison them, and although you selectively target them, the weeds are infinitely more resistant, and they keep coming and coming, and if you don't weed your garden for three months, the weeds are full on again there, Although three months ago they gave the impression that now they have been exterminated to a large extent. This is the way it goes with the samskaras and the vasanas and uh, these rajasic tendencies of the mind. And of course there exists always a reserve. As I told you, people sometimes they do three meditations in which they tell to their mind shut up. And in the fourth meditation, they are simply too tired. It's a weak day. It's a day where the willpower or something is not that strong. And people stay there and then they make a bit of compromise to, with a mental monkey. They say, okay, fine, let's think about this. Yeah, it's actually a very exciting idea. Yeah, it's like a brilliant idea, actually. People, the mind is even ready to give you a brilliant idea just to let it grind. Do whatever. The mind will come up with the most hip idea just so that you don't shut up. Do something. Grind, 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 do something. So because of this, people sometimes have the power to put their foot down. Sometimes people break down. They are, you know, it's like, okay. And then I don't have enough willpower all the time. It's like you are asking me all the time to be full on on a high horse and really suppress, suppress, suppress those samskaras. And one day it's like, you know what, today I'm just going to be soft. And 
soft meaning, flabby, lazy in a certain way, because I cannot constantly, I'm a human being and I cannot constantly, constantly, constantly fight those weeds which are coming up. It's exactly like a gardener who once in a month sees the weeds and he says, the heck with it, it's the 1st of May and I'm, have, I'm taking a holiday for the 1st of May. Next week again, then I'm going to look into the weed thing. Like somebody would say, why don't you weed them right now? You know, I'm too tired. I've been weeding weeds the whole spring, you know, and kind of give me a break. So in this way, it says abandoning without reserve all the desires born of Sankalpa or which give birth to Sankalpa. Both meanings are possible there. Abandoning without reserve because people have reserves. This was said in the previous shloka and that's why it relates because it says this yoga should be practiced with firm resolve. That's really the biggest problem and that's why you have to find your correct shoes in which to stand in your yoga life and in your yoga practice. It is okay to be elated for one year and to say, like Milarepa, as soon as Swami will teach me the full gamut of yoga, and as soon as I make sure that I've got all the initiations with this and with that, I probably, like Milarepa, will go for 10, 20 years in a cave, even if I have to eat stinging nettles, and I'm going to reach my nirvana and so on. There are many people who nourish these romantic feelings, but actually after people do a year of yoga and they see what it takes just for one year to practice not 12 hours of spirituality per day, but let's say just four hours of actual spiritual practices per day, many people realize they haven't got the stomach for that. They haven't got the knees strong enough for that. Because it's very idyllic and romantic to see you like a Milarepa or like a Ramakrishna practicing like crazy. But when you do it and do it and do it and do it, even after one year you know that maybe you are not cut for that exactly. And then people say, oh, in my four hours of practice, I want to put my sexual tantric practices as well. In my four hours of practice, I would like to put one hour of reading and studying as well. In my four hours of practice, I would just like to take my head headphones and listen to some music. Of course, we hope it's spiritual music, pure on the high chakras. Like people notice that it's one thing to do it in your dreams... And it's another thing to actually get down to work and do the things. And that's why and the unfortunate thing which every yoga teacher and every guru knows is that people do get enthusiasm. Because there are people who when it comes to spirituality, they are totally skeptical, cold, and they think spirituality is just a mental disease. Spiritual people are just a bunch of damaged goods and spirituality sucks. It's a, it's a real boring, stupid thing. And there, are, there is a number of people. There are people who are 
interested in spirituality and they have some degree of aspiration and they start practicing and doing things. Even those people are on a pyramid-like structure. Not everybody has the stomach of a Milarepa or of a Rumi or of a Ramakrishna and simply doing practice. People know that I've seen people going into retreats, like what's a 10-day retreat compared to 40 years of Milarepa. And you can believe me that Milarepa's lifestyle was tougher than a retreat which we do here, which the, our retreats are very gentle compared to what Milarepa was doing to himself at that time. And there are people who don't resist even 10 days. Ask any of our retreat leaders here, it's known in the second, third day, we already have a number of people falling ill. And that illness is psychosomatic illness, self-induced illness, very seldom because of some purification, very often because people like slam against the wall, and then they see after the first day and after the second day, their enthusiastic ego says, oops, and there are eight more days coming up just like that. And then many people and anybody who has been in a retreat, they think often, why the heck did I join this retreat? No, it, I could have gone swimming and partying. I could have been socializing, done a bit of yoga every day. And here I am doing 